The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. Let's talk about plagues. We've had a lot of reason to think about plagues over the last couple of years. And this week, as the Omicron variant rages across the country, we've got reason to think about them again. So I guess it's only natural that as I turned to look at the Parsha this week, all I could think about was the plagues, the famous 10 plagues of Egypt, which will stretch over the next two Parshas, but begin in this week's Parsha, Parsha Baera. Now, Partially because of Passover and the naming of the plagues during the Seder, there's lots and lots and lots of writing on the meaning and purpose of the plagues. But I think because of our particular experience with the coronavirus and the way it spreads from person to person because of close proximity, the question I've had on my mind this year is, did the plagues also affect the children of Israel? I mean, we know they're meant to wreak havoc on the Egyptians, or at least on Pharaoh, but it's not so simple plaguing Egypt to save the Israelites, because everyone lives in the same land. So imagine, for example, that your neighbor was really driving you crazy. You might, if he were really obnoxious, want him to move away or something, but you probably wouldn't wish for a tornado to come and blow his house down. Not just because that's a mean thing to wish for, but because... If a tornado is right next door, your house is probably getting damaged too. So back in Egypt, it's like, thanks God for coming to save us. But if widespread natural disaster is your solution, how do you make sure you don't kill us also in the process? Well, God seems to have thought of that. But the answers God has are somewhat different for different plagues. So the most straightforward solution to our dilemma is that sometimes the plague only comes to Egyptian-populated territory. In both the fourth plague, Arov, packs of wild animals, and the seventh plague, Barad, hail, we read that the plague will specifically not hit the land of Goshen, which is the place where Joseph first settled his family and where the Israelites are now known to live. Okay, so that's just a matter of containing the plague to one geographical region in Egypt. But with the fifth plague, Dever, where all the livestock die of some disease, the plague itself seems to know how to distinguish between Israelites and Egyptians who live in the same territory. So there we're told that God will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of the Egyptians so that nothing will die from all that belongs to the Israelites. And that's exactly what happens. Only Egyptian livestock dies. So this is like a targeted plague, almost like a drone that seeks out its intended victims, which I guess God can do because it's God. 
But sometimes the plague won't do the selecting for you. Instead, there's a special sign that you can use to ward off the plague. And this is probably the most famous solution, but it doesn't come up until the last plague, the killing of the firstborn. Right before God brings the plague, God tells the Israelites to put lamb's blood on the door and not to go outside all night. The Torah says, and the blood on the houses where you are staying shall be a sign for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, so that no plague will destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And that's actually where Passover gets its name. The plague passes over the houses marked with blood. Okay, so far we've seen that some of the plagues themselves seem to make distinctions in various ways, but that still leaves six plagues, and it's not clear what happens with every single one. Maybe we can assume that one of the solutions we've already discussed applied to these plagues too, or maybe there were other ways that Israelites were protected that don't get mentioned. Or maybe, after all, they had to suffer a little too while all of this was going on, and that was an okay price to pay for their coming liberation. But the last solution I want to consider is, I think, the most interesting one. Let's call it the plague is in the eye of the beholder. So this idea comes up most prominently in the ninth plague, darkness. There we read, Moses held out his arm toward the sky, and a thick darkness descended upon all the land of Egypt for three days. People could not see one another, and for three days, no one could get up from where he was. But for all the children of Israel, the Torah says, there was light in their dwellings. So, the children of Israel had light during the plague of darkness. At first glance, it seems similar to the first solution we looked at, so maybe darkness only hit the Egyptian areas, but there was light in Goshen. But note that the text doesn't mention Goshen here. It just says they had light in their dwellings. And in fact, it clearly says that darkness was upon all the land of Egypt, Bechol Eretz Mitzrayim, which makes sense if you think about the nature of this plague. It's, it's one thing to separate areas where wild beasts roam or even where hail falls, but it's hard to imagine total darkness in one area of Egypt and full illumination just across a county line. I mean, I know we're talking about the supernatural here, so I guess anything's possible, but I'm just saying it's hard to even conceptualize strictly bounded sections of darkness. The Midrash, the rabbinic commentary, tries to address this difficulty and plays with different possible meanings of the word dwellings, moshvotam. Midrash says, it does not say in the land of Goshen, but in their dwellings, to show that wherever Jews went, light accompanied them. That is, wherever they dwelled, even temporarily, they had a light that followed them. You could just imagine this. It sounds a little like they would get a, a flashlight or a, a coal miner's helmet. But a classic medieval commentator, the Rashbam, puts it slightly differently. There was light where they dwelled. Even when he was sitting in the house of an Egyptian. Now, we know the Egyptians couldn't see anything for three days, but the Rashbam is telling us that an Israelite sitting right next to an Egyptian would be able to see just fine. It doesn't sound like he's brought a light with him that lights up the whole place. 
it sounds like they're both sitting in the same reality, but one can see and one can't. The plague of darkness, in other words, simply didn't exist for the children of Israel. Now, conceptually, I just love this idea that the plague is taking place on the level of sensory experience and that it doesn't matter what's actually happening in the world. There's a similar image in another Midrash that describes the first plague, the turning of water into blood. The Torah says that all the water in Egypt will be turned to blood, even the water stored in vessels of wood and stone. So then what do the Israelites drink? They wouldn't have had water either. Well, this is how the Midrash answers that question. If an Egyptian and an Israelite were in one house where there was a barrel full of water, and the Egyptian went to fill a pitcher from it, he would discover that it was full of blood. But the Israelite would be able to drink water from the same barrel. When the Egyptian said to him, pour me some of the water with your own hand, and he gave it to him, it became blood as he poured it. Even if he said to him, let us both drink from one bowl, the Israelite would drink water, but the Egyptian would drink blood. Now, I'll grant you, there's an air of magic in the way the Midrash tells the story, but I think the underlying concept is the same as in the Midrash above, which is that it's really about perception. Here you have two people sitting in the same house, even drinking from the same cup, and one tastes water while the other tastes blood. They are encountering the exact same physical universe, but their experience of that universe is fundamentally different. In the same place on earth and in the same moment in time, they are in two different realities. And one is plagued and the other is just enjoying a cool glass of water. I, I just love the mind-bending imagery of these midrashim and the idea that one of the messages of the plagues is that reality itself is a matter of perception. And so our experience of reality can be adjusted by adjusting our perception. I'm, I'm drawn to this idea that you could cultivate such a profound spiritual awareness that it would radically change your perception of the world around you. Could I really tap into a kind of consciousness that would allow me to maintain total serenity through all of life's suffering, to always see light even in the darkest hours? Well, I, I hope so. I, I certainly haven't yet. Because in the meantime, back here in my reality, the plagues are affecting everyone. This plague doesn't care if you're an Egyptian or an Israelite, a Democrat or a Republican. There's no enemy here but the plague itself. We're all in this one together, and we have to keep each other safe in order to stay safe ourselves. So I'm wishing everyone a safe winter. In this, the darkest week of the year, may you find light in your dwellings, wherever they may be. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom, and our theme song is Pitchouli by Hillel Tigay. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already? If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org. 
and donate or Venmo us at ikarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week.